Our Old Testament reading from Ezra chapter 9. After these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the land with their abominations. From the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the land. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief men has been foremost. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled, my, pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. And then all who were tr- trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn, and I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame as it is today. But now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within this holy place, that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. For we are slaves. Yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving, to set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants and the prophets, saying, The land you are entering to take possession of it is a land impure with the impurity of the peoples of the land and with their abominations that have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness. Therefore, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons. And never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved and have given us such a remnant as this, shall we break your commandments again and intermarry with the peoples who practice these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you have consumed us so that there should be no remnant nor any to escape? O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just, for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. 
the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading from 1 Peter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. The word of the Lord. Please stand. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus, we do give you thanks and praise this morning. We thank you for your obedience, that you were baptized on our behalf, that you said no to temptation, and that your righteousness is ours, Lord, through uh, your death and resurrection on our behalf. So we give you thanks and praise, and speak to us, Lord, we pray, and form us um, uh, more and more um, in accordance with, with your will, we ask. We pray all this in Christ's name, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Be seated. That silence of the gospel reading, that really brings home that we're in Lent, doesn't it? So that's right. It makes you a little uncomfortable, and you're like, okay, I know I'm supposed to be uncomfortable. This is Lent. It's supposed to kind of throw me off. So uh, if you were uh, with us at our uh, Ash Wednesday service this past uh, Wednesday, uh, Deacon Joel, in his sermon, 
He spoke about how as a, um, in his early life as a follower of Christ, he sort of wrestled. He said he had this sort of argument with himself on whether as a Christian, should his life be marked by an awareness of his sin and a, a heaviness of knowing himself as a sinner, or should his life be marked by the freedom, right, and the celebration that comes through the resurrection of Jesus, right? Sort of, you know, uh, sinfulness or victory in Christ, which is it? And he said that as he's entered into the uh, practice of the church calendar, which uh, we celebrate in the Anglican tradition and many traditions um, celebrate the different seasons of the church calendar, that that has brought um, sort of a, a balance there. That there are seasons where there's an emphasis on repentance and an awareness of our sin, like the season of Lent, which we are now in. And there are seasons with an emphasis on celebration, a new life in Christ, that we are a new creation as is the season of Easter, which we are coming to, right? In a little more than 40 days, uh, we will be um, into Easter. And so again, that gives balance. And it's not that in the season of Lent, we are not celebrating the resurrection. You can talk about the resurrection. We are celebrating the resurrection. Jesus has risen from the dead. We're not forgetting that in the season of Lent. And in the season of Easter, we still repent. We still have confession as part of our service. We still acknowledge our sins. But again, that emphasis, that focus can help bring balance. It's great in the season of Lent to say, are there ways in which I haven't valued enough the call to repentance and the acknowledgement of my sinfulness? Seasons like Easter, right? We can say, are there ways that I perhaps live too much in lament and I'm forgetting that I'm called to celebrate and I'm called to feast as a believer in Jesus? And so appropriately enough, as we are in this season of Lent, beginning the season of Lent, in our series that we're doing um, from the uh, books of Ezra and Nehemiah, that we come to a place of confession, right? The Lord um, worked uh, that out in this series. Um, And so we can consider today, what is confession? As we're in the season of confession, it's a great question to ask. What does confession look like? What are the marks of confession? I think we see that powerfully um, in uh, this uh, prayer from Ezra. I know it's a long prayer, almost filled up the entire page uh, of uh, the bulletin, but I didn't want to cut anything out of here. I think there's a lot that we can take to heart in this prayer. So first, just to give a little context on uh, Ezra, if you've uh, been with us or haven't been with us in this series, um, uh, the book of Ezra begins actually with Cyrus, the king of Persia, making an announcement to the exiles, to those from the nation of Israel who have been exiled and been brought out of their nation. And he announces, um, again, as he's the one who has you know, power over all these various kingdoms, including the nation of Israel, he announces they can return back to their homeland, back to Israel, and they can begin to rebuild the temple. And there's even financial provision that comes. And so there's a group of Israelites who come back to the land, begin to rebuild the temple, and they face some challenges. They face some resistance of the people in the land. They face some uh, uh, different miscommunications. Uh, But over decades, right, they begin to rebuild the temple and actually get to the place that the temple is rebuilt. And so we saw that a couple weeks ago. And so decades again after they have returned, um, Ezra is sent. And that uh, uh, Deacon Andy Bramson, who preached here uh, last week, he's a deacon at um, Resurrection Anglican, our sister church in Robbinsdale. He talked about Ezra now coming on the scene. And Ezra having this calling, right, as a scribe, as a teacher of the law, to build up the people and to teach them the law. He talked about uh, Ezra was very aware of the hand of God being upon him. 
and calling him to this place. All right, so that's where we are. And so Ezra now is giving leadership. Again, he's teaching people the law. And in this moment, um, he is told, right, that there is a lack of faithfulness, a, a sin um, that is present among many of the leaders, right? And he says even particularly among the priests and the chief leaders among them that there is a sin. And so he responds with confession. And again, a great place to start is just to say, what is confession? Perhaps you've heard a confession um, uh, before. You know, someone apologizes uh, for something. Maybe in a conversation, maybe you see it sort of announced somewhere. I have this apology. Maybe you've heard it and you've said, is that really an apology? Like, is that really a confession? Or maybe you've had an awkward moment where you've been in a conversation with someone and you apologize. And they said, I don't know if that's an apology or not. Right. So we want to be clear. What is confession? What does it look like? I think we see powerfully again in this prayer. Here's what confession looks like. It's an acknowledgement of sin. It is a sorrow and regret over sin. What is sin? Anything that goes against the ways of God. Sin is a way of death where God calls us into the way of life. Sin damages, harms us. God calls us to life, to abundant life, to healing. And so it's turning away from the Lord and acknowledging we have turned away from you. And so you have, right? Verse uh, 10. We have forsaken your commandments. Very clear, right? I'm not giving excuses. I'm not saying, well, here's exactly why. And well, we kind of forsake your commandments, but not really, right? Just clear. We have forsaken your commandments. Verse 13. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt. And so Ezra, again, as a leader, is making clear we have sinned. We are acknowledging that. We need your mercy. We need your forgiveness because we have gone against your commandments. And so, right, that's what confession is, right? It's acknowledging sin. But a big question that probably comes up for us as we read this passage is, okay, what exactly is the sin, right? What is Ezra confessing here, right? Because we read in verse 2, for they have taken some of their daughters to be wise from themselves and for their sons so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. Maybe you read that and you say, okay, so is the sin that they're marrying people from other nations? Like, that doesn't seem that bad, right? Matter of fact, that seems like a fine thing, right? Maybe some of you have married people from other nations, right? I mean, is that something to repent of? Moses actually was married to someone uh, from another nation. But this is where it's really important to take note in verse 1. The the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the land with their abominations. We actually see that repeated two more times, right? It's about the people of the land, but specifically it's about their abominations, right? Their religious practices. And so the repentance here is not don't marry someone from another nation, although it's really, we should be very clear at this time, it's very unusual for a person's faith beliefs for their religion not to match up with their nationality. I mean, you know, again, that's still sometimes the case here, but again, we're very used to, right? Some of them have different nationalities having different faiths. At that time, really, your nationality and your faith went very much together. So that helps us to understand what's going on here. So again, the concern isn't nationality. The concern is religious practice. The concern is worship, right? And so people, and this was a pattern at times of the nation of Israel. This is why Ezra is so upset. That's why he's saying, haven't we learned anything? Right? We know as we look at our history that when you intermarry with folks of other um, beliefs, of other religions, you give in to their practices. And again, abomination is an appropriate word because many of those religious practices involved um, sexual immorality, sexual sin. It involved abuse, right, of, often of children, involved violence. So this is a very serious thing. 
Right? If we um, look forward into the uh, New Testament, we see a similar um, uh, prohib- pro- prohibition uh, there that's not about nationality, but it's about practice. I'm in the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, you may remember where Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, Paul had a vision for reaching all the nations right, with the good news of Jesus. Even though he was Jewish, he felt a strong call to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so his concern is not, you know, other nations. His concern when he says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers is, don't let your faith be compromised. Don't be drawn away to worshiping false gods instead of worshiping the one true God. Now, some of you may be familiar that image of unequally yoked, right, comes from basically a yoke was sort of a big piece of wood that was put over, that's the way I describe it. Some of you could probably describe it better, but a big piece of wood is what I'm going to call it, of over like two ox who would be pulling a plow, <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and you want those two ox pulling that plow to be equally yoked. And so if you have one ox that's strong, one ox that's weak, one ox that's big, one ox that's small, the yoke will not go straight. And so the concern with unequally yoked is that's going to pull you off of the path. You will go in a direction that the Lord does not want you to go. That's imagery. So Paul's saying, look, if you're unequally yoked with an unbeliever, <coughs> excuse me, which could mean, right, um, you know, some sort of partnership, but the most obvious meaning is marriage, uh, which Paul's speaking of, right? That's going to harm your faith. That's going to pull you away from honoring the Lord. Now, I want to be clear, again, this is perhaps a separate uh, sermon. Paul also states in 1 Corinthians, if you are married to an unbeliever, stay married to them, right? Trust that the Lord will work in that, okay? But he's saying, if you're not yet married, marry someone who shares your faith and your beliefs. Because again, you have this model, right? This um, past uh, uh, danger where if you intermarry with someone with a different faith belief, it's very likely, right? It often happens. We see it again and again. You will go down the road of idolatry um, and false worship. And so that's the concern that Ezra is speaking of um, here. Um, But let's look, uh, because again, as we consider this, um, verse uh, 12 um, is a challenging verse, so we need to talk about it, where he says, Therefore, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity. So that one we may hear and say, wait, what? Never seek their peace or prosperity, right? Didn't Jeremiah say, right, be about the welfare of the city, right? Jeremiah said, when you're, you know, surrounded by people of different beliefs, seek the welfare, seek their good. And what's helpful, I think, to note here in that verse is actually um, uh, Ezra is quoting from the book of Deuteronomy and a specific section in Deuteronomy which speaks about corporate worship. And Deuteronomy there is saying, when you gather together for worship, right, don't sort of give in and think, see, like, hey, we have to be peace with everybody. You need to worship the Lord your God and him alone. And so if other nations are sort of coming into your worship and encouraging you and drawing you to worship false gods, which did happen in the history of Israel, right, beware of that. So again, we can take that in that context and also note that even in the midst of those commands, there are also commands in the book of Deuteronomy that speak very clearly to care for the foreigner among you. Care for them, right? right? Be aware of the alien, right? And, and seek their good. So, again, being clear on what exactly is the sin here. The concern is compromise. The concern, in a sense, is unequal yokeness. And so as we note that, we note this is the confession, this is a sin. What are some of the marks of this confession? And the first thing we can say is confession is both corporate and individual. 
This is very much corporate confession here, right? There's also individual confession, right? I'll say more about that in a minute, but just take note of the corporate nature. So Ezra hears about this um, sin, right? He himself is not guilty of this sin, right? We know that. We actually have a list of those who are guilty of this sin, right? That comes later in the book of Ezra. Ezra himself is not, and yet he confesses it, right? He's heartbroken. It actually says he rends his clothing, which is interesting because last Wednesday we had the verse in Joel, rend not your clothes, but rend your heart. I think Ezra is doing both here. Clearly he's brokenhearted. Right? His confession begins, verse six, oh my God, I am ashamed. And I blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities. So he acknowledges his own personal shame, his own personal sense of guilt around the sin. But then he speaks of our iniquities. He speaks of the sins of the community. And he actually starts by looking backwards into the past and saying, in the past, we have sinned in this way. In the past, our people, right? My people have gone against your ways. Even though you brought us into this land, we continue to turn to false gods. We continue not to listen to your commandments. Right? Notice he even mentions our priests, right? He's a priest. So he feels this sense of ownership, right? Priests before me have not followed you and disobeyed you. And he's confessing that and acknowledging that to the Lord. And then he acknowledges the current sin, right? We have, you know, given in. We are, we're being persuaded by the abominations of these other nations around us. And so he's owning that sin, even though, again, he as an individual is not guilty of that sin. Now, let me just acknowledge, right? I think for, we, we struggle with this, right? We actually see it a few different times in Scripture. We see Daniel confessing sins that he himself is not personally guilty of. We see Moses doing this. And I think what's hard for us when we see this, maybe some of it is just, you know, we need a greater vision of community, right? But some of it is, I think we struggle because we read this and we say, well, is that not taking individual sins seriously? Is this saying that it doesn't matter what you do as an individual, right? In a sense, someone else can confess your sins for you and you don't have to own them. And that's not the case at all. When we look at the scriptures, actually, we see both an emphasis on individual responsibility and an emphasis on corporate connection and corporate responsibility. We can actually see both and embrace both. And so again, in the scriptures, there is clarity around you as an individual are responsible to confess your sins and to answer to the Lord for your sins. And one um, helpful verse, this actually um, doesn't specifically, it isn't specifically about sin, but it's about sort of individual responsibility. And I reference it, it's from the book of Galatians chapter six, because these verses actually take place in the midst of a passage that's talking about bearing one another's burdens. So in this passage that Paul is speaking to the church and saying, care for one another, bear one another's burdens, right? You know, you're responsible for the well-being of one another. He then says this, but let each test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So here Paul's saying, look, care for one another, but you still have to bear your own load, right? You're individually responsible for the things that have, you've been given responsibility over. Or in the book of Jeremiah, really clear, everyone shall die for his own iniquity. So we can acknowledge, right? There's a, a personal call to confess our sins. And yet we are part of a community. When we think of 1 Corinthians, it talks about we are the body of Christ, many members, right? And if one member suffers, we all suffer. And so if one member sins, there's a way in which we all own that, right? That affects, right? Sin affects a whole community. And so we can, as a body, confess together, right, the sins of the community. And if you're here on Ash Wednesday, you did that. 
right? If part of the Ash Wednesday service is a long, right? it's, it's kind of painfully long time of repentance. And it hits on a lot of things. Let me just read a few of the things that that Ash Wednesday um, extended repentance prayer hits on, right? Pride, vanity, hypocrisy, self-pity, impatience, envy, dishonesty, exploitation of others, self-indulgent appetites, ingratitude, misuse of creation, prejudice, and uncharitable thoughts towards our neighbors. And that's just a few of the ones, right? And so when we are praying that on Ash Wednesday, I don't think the attitude we should have is, Okay, yeah, that one I'm guilty of, so I'll pray that one. But that one, okay, I'm going to be quiet right now because I actually haven't sinned on that one. You know, we're not trying to think through what am I individually responsible for. Now, again, when I read that list, they're all pretty convicting. So, so it may not, there may not be many that don't get a check mark next to them. But the idea is we're acknowledging we as sinful people, right, sin in this way. We as a church in particular are aware we have sinned in this way. And there's a grief that we should feel in that sin, right? We don't have to think through, well, actually, I'm doing pretty good on that one because we are part of a body. We, again, see that model. So in there, right, there's a right humility and a right acknowledgement. We share this. Now, when we see Ezra confessing these sins, I believe he is genuinely brokenhearted, right? I don't believe this is an act that he's doing. I think he truly feels such a connection to his people and such a responsibility is one that's called to teach them that there's a way in which he does feel the pain of their sin. And I mention that because I think sometimes maybe our experience of corporate confession has been, I'm going to confess the sins of my people to show how much better I am than they are, right? I mean, sometimes it actually comes across as like, oh, the sin of my people, look how righteous I am, right? And Jesus clearly warns against that, right? He warns us, right? If we are praying in a way to show our own righteousness, that's a problem. But again, if we are praying clearly brokenhearted right over the sin in our community and desiring for God's mercy, I think that's very much in line with Scripture. So that ties into a second mark, right? So we see, again, there's a corporate um, element to confession, even as there's an individual element, but also confession leads to changed behavior. Right? We confess, and that's a part of repentance. It's part of seeking God's help. We, Heard that, right, in our, our liturgy um, this morning, right? We repeated it over and over again. Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law. When I was a, a kid, um, sometimes I'd say sorry to my mom about something that she was upset about. And she would say, I want more than sorry. And I was probably kind of a slow child because I, I didn't get that for a while. I'm like, what does she mean? Like, I want more than sorry. Like, I'm really, really sorry. You know, I'm like, do I need to find better words? And then I figured out, oh, she wants my actions to change. Like, if I just keep saying I'm sorry for not cleaning my room and never clean my room, then that's upsetting to her. So eventually it, it sink, sunk in. In the same way, right, when we say our, we're sorry, we're saying, Lord, incline our hearts to keep this law. Right? I'm acknowledging I've sinned against you. Help me. Right? I want your change, right? I want, again, walk on the path of freedom rather than the path of bondage, which is what sin leads us in, right? I need your help. And so what we see actually happening here in Ezra is after he corporately leads this time of confession, again, many join him, right? Many of the leaders joined him in this time of confession. Then they, as a community, think through and address the issue. What are we going to do now? Right? How do we make sure that we are remaining true to God and honoring him? And so you can see how this humility to say, right, the sin right, affects us all. We're all guilty of different sins. We're all together aware sin is powerful, right? It can really destroy us. We need God's help. 
And then it's within that environment, whether it's a community or as an individual, to say, where can I go from here? Right, Lord, how are you helping me? How are you strengthening me? Lord, what do I need to turn from? And if you've ever had to speak to someone about an issue of sin, right, a, a way that they sinned against you or something maybe you're concerned about, you know how hard that is and how much you want to go into that conversation, not as sort of like, I'm superior to you, but rather like, let's help one another, right? And I see an area that I'm heartbroken over and I want to help you. And what a difference it makes to come into a conversation like that, aware of our own sin and aware I need God's help, right? I've fallen into sin, right? And I'm part of this community. And therefore, because I'm part of this community, I want to build you up. But the first step is actually to say, you need to repent. You need to confess of this, right? That is the road of freedom. I believe that's what we see happening here. So confession, again, leads to changed behavior. Finally, I just want to note that confession increases our gratitude. Or maybe sometimes we feel like, why do we need a season of Lent, right? Are we just sort of, you know, beating ourselves up? No, not at all, right? We're acknowledging our sinfulness. We're acknowledging our need for God's mercy, which just increases in our celebration of God's mercy, increases our awareness of his goodness. As we acknowledge our faithlessness, we see the Lord's faithfulness. And we see that in this passage. Verse 8, but now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us as a remnant and to give us a secure hold within his holy place that God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. So here is their confessing, right? Ezra is saying, we see God's goodness. We see his faithfulness. He's brought us here. He's brought revival to us. He's brought a brightening of our eyes. Verse 9, God has not forsaken us in our slavery. Confessing reminds them of God's faithfulness. And then at the very end of the passage, verse 15, O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just, for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. So he's saying, right, we're a remnant, right? We're a, a small group of your people who are resettling back in the land, right? And we see your justice. It's actually kind of surprising that he would say justice, right? Why does, why does he say we see your mercy, right? That he's returned them to the land. Well, certainly God has been merciful, but God is showing his justice. Or God is showing, I will do what is right. And what is right is that my people, right, are called back to this land that they may represent me to the nations and that out of this people may come the Messiah. God's just, God's showing his justice to the world is at work here. And that's why Ezra is so aware, like, we need to remain faithful to the Lord, right? We need to confess when we see ourselves moving off of that path because the Lord is using us to bear witness to all the world. And again, this is ultimately fulfilled, right, in Jesus, the coming of Jesus. And so as we think of, right, gratitude and confession leading to gratitude, right, we can, um, again, consider our other readings, Right? Christ died once, the righteous for the unrighteous. Right? We consider Jesus going and um, uh, being tempted and saying no to that temptation. Right? Ezra, right? we see Ezra not guilty, again, of the sin he's confessing, but confessing it on behalf of his people and with his people. But Jesus, right? we see a great high priest who is guilty of no sin, who is completely righteous and yet takes our sin upon himself and bears our sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, right? that we might have the righteousness of God, that we may know freedom. So may that gratitude, right? May that just increased um, wonder and thanksgiving towards the Lord mark our Lent. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you call us to confession. We know it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. 
I pray, Lord, in this season, as we perhaps feel in new ways, an awareness of our sin, an awareness of our need for you, may that increase in us, Lord, a gratitude, increase in us a, a worship of thanksgiving and praise to you, Lord. And Lord, I do pray for any who feel stuck in a place of sin, who feel like they're um, uh, in a place of a lack of freedom, that you would bring them help, Lord, through others, through your spirit, through your word, that you would strengthen them, that each one of us, Lord, would know your help as we seek to turn away from the things that bind us and to walk the path of freedom. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.